Hello, you've reached the podcast at Chesboro Baptist Church. This morning, we are ending our series on the life of Joseph. The title of the message this morning is The First Book of Revelation. Please enjoy. On the life of Joseph. And uh, we're going to read this morning one verse in Genesis chapter 45. So let's go ahead and uh, get right into it. If you're physically able, one last time, I'm going to ask you to stand and respect and reverence to the word of God. We'll read one verse, pray, and sit back down. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 45 and verse number 4, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless our service today. Lord, we're so thankful for the testimony and the word of God of a man named Joseph. Lord, this man named Joseph was a picture of you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we finish out this story today that you would bless our understanding of the word of God and that you would show us an example from this man's life, something we can glean from the life of our Savior. Thank you for what you have done for us. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled the message this morning, The First Book of Revelation. As you know, we're going through Revelation on Wednesday nights, and the book of Revelation is a book where hidden things are revealed. It's a book where things that are mystery and hidden, they're revealed to John. The book of Revelation is a book about how wrongs were made right. It is a book about the ultimate picture of justice. Now, the final chapters of the book of Genesis are also chapters of Revelation. A lot is going to be revealed right here. And, you know, there are times in a person's life when they are revealed for who they, are, who they really are. And you know what does it? Do you know what reveals someone for who they really are? Two things. One is trials. Trials will reveal you for who you really are. And you know what the second thing is that will reveal who you really are? Treasures. Treasures will reveal your true character. Treasures will reveal who you really are as much or may even more so than trials. And these two things will reveal the real person. See, the work in the life of Joseph's brothers, and Joseph is working to bring his brothers to repentance, that has been accomplished. Now, they were prepared to see Joseph for who he really was. So the first point of my message this morning is called the revelation of his person. We're going to go through Genesis 45, so keep your Bibles open. Genesis 45 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself from before all them that stood by him. And he cried 
Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Man, that's a simple statement. I am Joseph, but it is a very powerful statement. I know I've said this to you a half a dozen times at least before, but man, when, 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 when my mom used to, when I used to get in trouble and I wasn't home yet, my, my mom would be on the phone and my mom said, Brett, when you get home, we have to have a talk. And you knew that talk wasn't going to be good. But, you know, a lot of times, instead of saying having a talk, she would say this, Brett, when you get home, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. And I knew that was even more serious. Man, Joseph's brothers had never experienced a come to Jesus meeting like this man who stood up before them, who had the power to kill them, who had the power <coughs> to throw them in jail, for him to say those words, I am Joseph. Now, we are about to have a come to Jesus meeting with Joseph's brothers. You know, this was, you know, prior to this revelation, who did they know Joseph as? They knew him as Zaphnath Paneah. That's who they knew Joseph as, the supreme ruler of Egypt, just under Pharaoh, with the power of Pharaoh, basically the prime minister of all of Egypt, now, they know him as Joseph. They know him as the beloved child of his father. You see, they didn't recognize him previously. They were blinded to him. But now they could clearly see he was the one whom they had feared. And now they would see him as he really was. You know, many centuries later, there'd be a very a very zealous Jew. This very zealous Jew, he loved the Lord and, and he heard about this blasphemous sect of people who were proclaiming that there was a man who was dead and now he's alive. Well, now this zealous Jew knows what he has to do. He has to go to Damascus and he has to nip this in the bud like Barney Fife, nip it in the bud. And, and Saul gets on the road to Damascus and he's going to talk to these blasphemous people. And he's going to go throw them in jail. And he's going to go kill them. And while he's on the road to Damascus, a blinding light blinds him. And he asks the question, who art thou? And then he gets a very simple answer, just like the one Joseph gave. But a lot more powerful than the one Joseph gave. And the answer that he, that he heard from this voice was, I am Jesus. Once again, a very simple statement, but yet a very powerful one. At this revelation, Paul on the road to Damascus was very troubled at this revelation. He was very troubled, just like Joseph's brothers were when they heard the words, I am Joseph. You see, for 20 pieces of silver, they had despised him. They had sold him. They had rejected him. They had tried to forget him. But now they were face to face with him. 
the one whom they had wronged. They had fallen into the hands of the one that they had sold into slavery. They had fallen into the hands of the one that they had abused. They had fallen into the hands of the one they had tried to forget. And now their very lives were in his hands. You see, when a person finally realizes who Jesus is, what they have done, and what he is able to do, they, be, they, 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 then be con, they are then convinced of three things. Those three things are found in John 16, 8. It says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let me explain to you what those three things are. Sin, that reveals us who we are. Righteousness, that reveals to us who God is. And judgment is a combination of the two. Judgment is when our sin meets the righteousness of God, the combination of those two things is judgment. You know that word reprove in that verse, it's also translated as another word. The other word that it's translated as is convict. He will convict. That simple statement, I am Joseph, I can almost guarantee. You ever had your heart just sink into your stomach? I mean, I've felt that feeling before. It's like when you're... I had that feeling before when you're changing a fuel filter out on a diesel and you've got one socket in the whole shop that fits it and you got to put it back on and you it falls off the wrench and you go ding, 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 ding. And then you look under there and it didn't fall all the way through. Oh, it just sinks. Man, your heart just kind of sinks. And I can almost guarantee you that that is exactly how Joseph's brothers felt. Their hearts just sank when they heard the words, I am Joseph. Why? Because they were under conviction. They were under conviction. You see, when Jesus reveals himself to us, he brings conviction. You know, this is just like I, I said this last night in the men's meeting, but what's the best way I can explain to you what conviction is? Conviction is like when God comes to you to speak to you personally about something important, about something life or death, heaven or hell, something really big. God comes directly to you and starts speaking to you that is conviction. Now let me tell you something. When you are in a preaching service and you get under conviction, you are the most uncomfortable person on the planet. You want to get out of that church as fast as you can. You want to hit the door as quick as you can. You want to get out. You say, I got to get out of here. I got to get away from this place. I got to get away from that man. I got to get away from that book. I have to get as far away as I possibly come, as I possibly can. Because when you are under conviction, you are the most miserable person in the world. But let me tell you something this morning about conviction. You need to be thankful for conviction. Man, it may be uncomfortable and it may be a squirming in your seat feeling and you may not like being under conviction, but you need to thank God for conviction because that, mean that, that means that God still cares about you. 
that means that God still loves you and God still wants to have a relationship with you and God is trying to get you to change your life to be closer to Him and if He didn't care, He wouldn't convict you. If I didn't care about my kids, I would never correct them. If I didn't care about my kids, I would never whoop them. If I didn't care about my kids, I would never punish them. Well, I also said this last night at the men's meeting. You know, it's always funny when you get a spanking from mom and dad, they say, oh, well, it's going to hurt me a lot worse than it hurts you. And I think to myself, why don't she give me the switch and we'll see what, hurt, what hurts worse. Okay? Why don't you give me the switch and we'll see what happens. I told the men last night there was a, there was a wood line. And I would go and I would, there were these bushes. And you get these little switches and you'd break it off and you could put your fingers at the end and go zoom, and all the leaves would be off of it. But then you had to be careful because if you got one too small, I was told that it would be used and then I'd go out for a bigger one. But then again, you didn't want to come back in with a cane pole across your shoulder either. So there was some anxiety in picking the switch there. But, you know, so, um, you know, when a person finally realizes who Jesus is, they are under conviction. And we need to thank God for conviction. Because that means that the true holy God of Israel wants a relationship with you. And what conviction does is conviction teaches you about your sin. It teaches you about God's righteousness and what happens when the two meet. And that is called judgment. If you want to stay the hand of judgment, if you want to back that judgment down, then you've got to repent and turn away. You're still going to get some judgment, but maybe not as much. You know, they couldn't say a word. They were speechless. Why? Because they were under conviction. Have you ever been wrong and you know it? And you open your mouth and there's no words to say. You just have to own up to it because you know it. Well, that is the situation that Joseph's brothers find themselves in. My second point this morning, we're going to call the revelation of his purposes. Uh, a, letter A under that point, the first sub point is going to be to pardon. Genesis 45, verses 4 and 5. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Now, Joseph mentioned the brother's sin. He didn't mention the sin to parade it in front of them. He mentioned their sin in order to pardon their sin. He wanted to pardon them. He looked at them and said, you sold, but God sent. You sold, God sent. Now this does not mean that the brothers did not suffer any, any consequences for what they did. Certainly they suffered some consequences. Yet God used their sin to bring about his perfect will and his purpose. You know, God has a talent for that. Let me explain to you something, Christian. You can't control other people's actions. You can't. You can try, but we have free will, 
And you can't control other people's actions. And you might can pray that God would change someone's heart and bless God. God can certainly do that if he chooses to. But at the end of the day, we are human beings with free will and we cannot control the actions of other people. Joseph could not control the actions of his brothers. Don't you think if Joseph had a choice, he would have looked up from that pit and said, Lord, please, God, change my brother's hearts. Don't let them sell me into slavery. Don't you think Joseph probably did do that? But God didn't. God, God allowed it to happen. He allowed it to happen. Why? Maybe to teach Joseph that you can't control other people's actions. But you know what's funny? That if you remain faithful... God can take that bad and make something good out of it. God can take that bad, even though you didn't do anything wrong, even though somebody else is doing something to you, it doesn't matter if you remain faithful. God can take that and he can turn it into something good. He can turn it into his will because that's what God does. He has a talent for just that. Now Joseph reiterates this later on in one of the most well-known passages of Scripture related to this story. If you'd like to read along with me, if you hold your places in Genesis 45 and flip over to Genesis 50, we're going to be, begin reading in Genesis number uh, chapter 50 and verse number 15. We'll read a few verses. Genesis 50 and verse number 15. And the Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preadventure hate us and certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. So they said, oh, you know what? Our father's dead. You know, Joseph, he could have only been nice to us because daddy was alive. But now daddy's gone. Now he's going to hit us hard and fast. Verse 16. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God thy, of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones to be comforted them and speak kindly unto them. You know what gets my attention? What jumps out at me at that passage of scripture that we just read? What jumped out at me is when Joseph said the words, am I in the place of God. One of the first things Joseph understood is he understood, I am not God. I'm going to let God be God and I'm going to be me. It wasn't his job to take out retribution on his brothers. It wasn't his job to, re to revenge his brothers. Vengeance belongs to God. And if the Lord would choose to do it, he'd have to find some other way to bring vengeance on Joseph's brothers because Joseph, Joseph is not going to be that instrument. He is not going to do that. Listen, from a human perspective, Joseph had the right of revenge. 
from a human perspective, Joseph had the ability of revenge. But Joseph knew that God was God and he was not. So he didn't, he didn't take revenge. I think we can learn something from that. But you know what else? Joseph acknowledges their sin, but it's to pardon him. They meant evil unto him, but God used it for good. The greatest revelation of God's purposes is a hill called Calvary. What was done to Jesus on the cross was probably the most wicked thing that could ever be done to a person, to an innocent person, to a person who did nothing wrong. Who They brought false accusations against him. They lied in open court and they beat him and they crucified him and they spit on him and they mocked him and they embarrassed him and they humiliated him. It was awful. But God overruled the wicked actions of men. And he used that to bring praise to him. You know, those who crucified Jesus were judged. They paid a price, but guess what? God still used that cross for his glory. Now, I don't know why the Lord's laying this on my heart. But, to, you know, maybe today somebody's hurting you. I want to reiterate once again you cannot control the actions of other people. What can you do? You can forgive. You can leave vengeance up to God. And you can remain faithful to him. And you will see. Not now. Not, you won't see it now. But one day you will look back and you will see that God meant it for your good. You can't see it now. But one day you will be able to see it. Letter B, we've got to provide. Back to Genesis 45 and verse 6. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years, in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a prosperity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. And thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin that this is my mouth that speaketh unto you. Again, the purpose here is provision and restoration. You know, Joseph did an interesting thing. Joseph sent his brothers back to their father. Because that was the only way they were going to have true restoration is if they were sent back to the father. 
You know, for years they had lived in the presence of their father. For years they had came in and they lived in the same household and they woke up and they went about their day and they ate their breakfast and they, they tended their flocks and herds and they did their chores around the house and they probably saw their father every single day. But even though they saw their father every single day, they were in the presence of their father, but they did not have a relationship with him. Because of what they had done to their father, their relationship was estranged. Now they're coming back to the father with a message from the son. They have a message from the son. Joseph sent them back to the father, forgiven, restored, and with a message to the Father. And how were they were to deliver the message? You are to deliver the message in the name of his Son. How are we supposed to pray to the Father? We do so in the name of his Son. John 14, 13 and 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will will do it. God the Father does not care about himself. You know who God the Father cares about? He cares about his son Jesus. He wants Jesus to get all the credit. He wants Jesus to get all the praise. He wants Jesus to get all the glory. He wants Jesus to get all the admonition. He wants Jesus to get all the credit, all the honor, everything. Give it to my son. Don't give it to me. Give it to my son. And when we have children, we know what that's like. See, we don't care if we take a back seat to our children. We want our children to get all the credit, our children to get all the honor, our children to get all the glory. We get that from God the Father. Next, in letter C, we've got to praise verse 13. And ye shall tell my Father of all my glory. Isn't that interesting? Ye shall tell my Father of all my glory in Egypt and all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste bring down my Father hither. Now, there are, there are few places in Scripture that provide a more beautiful picture of worship than what we have right here. Joseph says, tell my father of all my glory. Could you imagine how that would have been? I wonder if there's a DVR in heaven and you can just go back in this, like you go to the library in heaven and, and, and you go through the card catalog and you get out the DVD and you put it in there and you just watch things that happen in the Bible. This is one of the things I would pull up and watch when the, the sons told Jacob that Joseph was still alive. Could you imagine how that, that meaning was? The brothers go up to the father and Jacob, the father of Israel, and they look at the father and they say, Father, Joseph is alive. He's not only alive, he is Lord of all the land. I mean, literally, Dad, he's king of the world. Every kingdom in the world is under Joseph right now. And Dad, guess what else? He's loaded. He's loaded, and he wants to take care of us, and he wants 
us to be where he is. Dad, you should have seen his mansion. You should have seen the glory and the splendor and all the goals. You should have seen where he lives at. And he's loaded. And he wants us to go there and live with him. He wants to take care of his father. Can we understand how Jesus wants to approach God the Father in the same way? Can you, imagine, can, can you understand that Jesus wants us to go to his Father and say, Father, your son's alive. Your son's alive and your son loves me. And your son is loaded. And he wants to take care of me. And he wants to watch after me. And, and, and I want him to do that. And I want to be with him. Man, when we go to God the Father, we need to speak of the glory of his Son. That's true worship. That's what worship is. We stand here on Sunday morning and we raise our hands to these songs. And we sing these songs and we sing our hymns and we're telling the Father how glorious His Son is. That is a true picture of worship. But you know what? Before you worship, there must be proper fellowship. And this was Joseph's purpose the entire time. Letter D, we've got to be personal. Verse number 14. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. After that, his brethren talked with him. Joseph wept with them and kissed them and spake kindly unto them. In every way, shape, form, and fashion, Joseph was speaking where mercy and truth were coming together. Let me read for you Psalms 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now understand that Joseph was vested all the power of the earth. But even though he had all the power on the earth, even though he could control everything, even though every, every whim he wanted could be met, he walked into a room and everybody bowed down. He had all this power. He had all this glory. He had all this splendor. He had all the houses and the chariots and the horses and the flocks. And he owned everything. And he was in charge of everything. But what did he really want? He just wanted a relationship with his family. That's all he wanted. God has all of those things. Jesus has all of those things. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created all this. But the only thing he wants is a relationship with me and you. That's all he really wants. And that's all Joseph really wanted as a relationship with his brethren. He lo Joseph longed for them to know him as more than Zaphnathpaneah. So I don't want you just to know me by that. I want you to know me as Joseph, your brother. Jesus, on the other hand, he says to us, I want you, I want to know you more. I want you to know me more than just the creator of the universe. I want you to know me more than just Holy Father. I want you to know me as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's what I want you to know me as. And let me tell you something else. 
He wants to know all the trivial details of your life. He wants to know all of that. You know, when I was in college, my mom would call me. And she'd call me at the end of the week and she said, Brett, tell me how your week went. And man, I'd start on Monday and I'd tell her the classes and I'd tell her what I ate for lunch and I'd tell her this, that, and the other. And I'd go through my entire week and really mom just wanted to hear my voice. But you know what I do? I find myself doing the same thing with my kids. I'll go and I'll pick them up from spending the night at Mama and Papa's house and I'll be driving home and me and Emily, it's quiz time in the car at that point. Okay, what time did you wake up? What did you eat for breakfast? Where did you go after breakfast? What did you play? What did you watch on TV? What did you eat for lunch? You Papa took you to town? Okay, where did you go? What happened? It's like I'm getting the 401 for my kids, you know? And uh, so, you know, I, it's, it's quiz time when I pick up the kids from Mama and Papa's house. But you know what the truth is? I want to know every detail just because I want to I wanna have a relationship. I desire to know that all those details about them. You know what? God desires to know all the details of our lives. You know, these details may not have meant anything else to anybody in Egypt, but it meant something to Joseph. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you a question. Does God desire to know about your late plane? Does God desire to know about your unexpected bill? Does God desire to know about the new friend that you have? Does God desire to know about your desire for a car? Does God desire to know about your hurt feelings? Does God desire to know about the disappointed child? You know, we assume that he's interested in our need for a job and a wayward child, a, a report of cancer, a lost neighbor. But in reality, he wants to hear about it all. We miss out on an intimate relationship with God when we don't talk to him like he's a friend. Oh, he is a father. He is our God and we are to respect him as such. But then when's the last time we just had a conversation with him? When's the last time we just told him about our day? Number three this morning, we have the resources of Joseph. In verse number 16, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, this do ye, laid your beasts and go and get you unto the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come unto me and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt and ye shall eat of the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff. That's a sermon title right there. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. You see, Joseph's resources are directly connected to the throne. You see, what Joseph graciously promised, the Pharaoh decreed it to be so. Jesus himself said in John 16, At that day ye shall ask in my name, I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and I have believed that I have come out from 
God. Now, you know what? That phrase, regard not your stuff. Like I said, that's a sermon title right there. That might be something I'm going to preach down the line. Regard not your stuff. Pharaoh is saying, don't worry about your stuff. I have everything that you need. I have everything that you could ever need. You see, Joseph is not only providing for them physically, giving them food to eat and something to drink, but he's also providing for their personal needs, clothing, furniture, place to live, things like that. But you know, in the Bible, we learn that God is going to clothe us. He's going to clothe us. It's going to be a gracious gift. He's going to clothe us, him clothe us himself in garments of white. And man, you know what? He is, and it speaks of that which he has done on our behalf in ways that we could never provide for ourselves. The garment that he is going to give me, I could never give myself. No matter how hard I tried, I could never provide myself that garment of white that I'm going to get one day. That garment of salvation. Isaiah 61.10, it will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. One day he's going to give me this garment, and it's a garment that I couldn't give myself. It's a gracious gift. It's a garment dipped in blood. It's washed away. Blood has washed away everything. My sins are gone. Back to Genesis 45, verse 24. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. So now they've co we have a picture. The, the brothers have come in true repentance. Now they have restored relationship with the Father through the Son. And now he sends them out on a mission. Hey, I'm up here in this mansion. I'm preparing a place for you. But right now I'm going to send you out in the world. I'm going to send you out because I've got a mission for you. I have a message that I want you to carry out into the world. And he says unto them, fall not by the way. Why did Joseph say that to his brothers? Because he knows the journey is long and the temptations are great. And Jesus says that to you. Nine years old, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I became a child of God. And he sent me out into the world with a message from him and said, fall not by the way. For the journey is long and the temptations are great. And Jesus says the same thing to us. He sends us out with the message. But you know what? Even though the journey is long and the temptations are great, his provision is enough. His provision is sufficient for us. And he reminds them, fall not out by the way. Let me tell you something. If you ever have need of anything, Jesus will supply it. If we are lacking in anything, he will readily supply. Remember, he's loaded. He's loaded. He wants to be our supplier. He wants to be our savior. So he reminds us not to fall out by the way. Let me ask you some questions this morning. Where are you today? Have you been restored to your father in heaven? Or are you still living with guilt? 
brought upon yourself by your sin. I want to remind you today that Jesus is orchestrating things in your life. Brett, I don't see God in this. Brother Bet, you, you don't know how many tears I've shed. You don't know how many times I've cried, Brother Brett. You don't know how many times I've called out to God and asked God to show himself. I don't see God anywhere around me. But he's there. And he's orchestrating things in your life. And you may not can see it. That's why you have to have faith. That's why you have to have faith. Jesus, you ask the question, why is God putting me through this? He's putting you through this so you can be restored. Joseph's brothers had no idea why the, this guy was doing this to them. They knew that they didn't put their money back in their sacks. They knew they were innocent of that. They knew that, that Benjamin didn't steal the silver cup. They couldn't understand why this guy was making them jump through hoops. But the, the ruler understood and he knew why. He was on their side the whole time and they didn't know it. They were blind to it. And you're going through a situation in your life that makes you cry at night and when you get alone, it's all you can think of and you're very depressed and the depression is taking over your life and you're weeping for yourself and you don't know what to turn to and you keep coming to church and you keep reading your Bible and you think, well, where is God in all this? And I'm here to tell you that God is there. If you are a child of God and you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, what you're going through is God's patient way of orchestrating restoration in your life. Because he wants you to be restored. He wants to bring us back to that. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to repent of. Maybe the, or maybe there's not. Maybe you're just going through a trial. Maybe you're just going through a storm. And you can't understand why it's happening to you. And I'm here to tell you today that you have to have faith that he is with you. And he is orchestrating it in your life to bring you back to restoration. Why? Because he longs for fellowship with you. That's what he wants. That is all he wants. And everything that happens in your life, he does so he can have fellowship with me and you. That's why he does it. That's his only concern is the love and fellowship and restoration. He wants it with you. Are you ready to be restored? Are you ready to be restored today? Couple of things. If you're not saved, that's the first step. If you're not saved, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to repent and turn from your wicked ways and turn to God the Father. You have to come to that place where you put your faith and trust in Christ and get saved. So that's the first step. But if you are a child of God, you may be going through a storm today. You may be going through something that you don't understand and you don't see God anywhere, anywhere, and you're depressed, and you cry, and you weep, and nobody knows how deep it goes in your soul. But I'm here to tell you today, God is orchestrating things in your life so you can be restored because he wants that 
fellowship with you. He wants it. Just like Joseph wanted that with the brothers. Joseph stood before his brothers and he said three words. He said, I am Joseph. The brothers instantly knew what that meant. Their brother was the ruler of Egypt. All the things that they did and all the things he could do, it was the only thing they, it was the only choice they had, throw themselves at his feet. It was the only option they had. Today in this service, from the word of God, Jesus stands up and he says to me and you, I am Jesus, and we all know what that means. Maybe today we just need to throw ourselves at his feet. Beg him to be with us. Beg him to watch over us. Because what does he want from me and you? He wants restoration. And he wants fellowship.